welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Houston Cannon with Paul Megina Histol and Nitin Patel from Connector Subsea. I'm so happy I got that, gentlemen. Thank you. Sometimes it takes two tries. But we made this happen on short notice. So thank you guys so much for coming in. You know, you guys have come here for Subsea tieback in Galveston. Is that right? Okay. That's right, yeah. Okay. So when did you guys get into Houston? I got in on Saturday. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. Wanted some time to get over the jet lag. Ah, uh, um, yes. We've got quite a lot to do this week as well because we're meeting clients outside subsidy time acts as well. So. For sure. You're trying to take full advantage of yeah, being exactly. here. You're not here just to like eat barbecue and Tex-Mex, are you? Mostly. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I, I like the transparency. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Right. Yeah. yeah. Paul, what about you? When did you get into town? <laughs> no, I came on Sunday. On Sunday? Yeah. Okay, good, good. I'm getting used to the time difference now. I bet. Jet lag is tough. My wife and I, we went to Europe in 2017 and... You know, being young, oh, jet lag, you know, it's overrated. I'm not going to get it. Well, going there wasn't too bad. We went to London and then London, Paris, Paris, Rome, or sorry. Yeah. And then, you know, coming back, it, would, it took a good week for me to adjust. I didn't realize how it'll throw you off for sure. So the fact that you guys are coming from there to here to work, you guys look bright eyed and bushy tailed. So I'm impressed. And it's There's only been a couple of of us, you know, we sent here. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> try and figure it out. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm curious, have you guys been in Houston before? Yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Many times. I mean, you guys are obviously well-versed in the Houston, you know, culture. Then what do you guys like to do aside from business? Do you have any sort of things that you, when you come here, I need to do this? Go for it, Paul No, no. I think that we will try to get the chance to go to the Rodeo. Yeah. The end of Friday, I think. Okay. Yeah. It's happening. It's something new for, for me at least. Yeah. Okay. So do they have rodeos where you're from? No. <laughs> no. Okay. So it's, yeah, you'll be full tourist mode. Yeah. yeah. Same here. I want to go to rodeo and uh, I like the bars here as well. So I think yeah. you've got some nice big bars and yeah, you've got a lot of microbreweries, which is quite interesting. Actually, that's happening in the UK quite a lot. So yeah. I want to try and get some time to do that as well. There you go. No, that's good. I always enjoy it. You know, when people come from overseas or just really any parts and come to Houston and, you know, take advantage because, you know, we have a lot to offer here and, and, you know, being, you know, Canadian coming down here, I still feel like I run into something new or a new restaurant or a new, you know, this or that, you know, on a weekly basis. So there's just lots to soak in. And, you know, NAPE is another big conference that we have here in OTC. And yeah. it's always interesting to run into folks from overseas that come and they're like, oh, we're doing this and doing that. Some people bring their families. And, you know, although it's not like you're going to, you know, California for the nice beach, Galveston's okay. But if you like water, you know, you can obviously go to Galveston, take advantage a little bit, which was, that's where you guys are going to be going, right? For the conference? Yeah, today we're going straight after this, we're going to Galveston. So. Right on. So for the audience who's not familiar, and this is, you know, oil and gas onshore, but, you know, I, I think it's important to understand that just because, you know, the focus of the podcast is onshore, 
the way technology is evolving, there's a lot of integration, right? And while, you know, obviously subsea tiebacks doesn't really apply to land, just the fact that creating awareness around good technology and innovation in our industry is extremely fascinating. And, and that's why I would like to bring awareness to it. But for the audience who's not aware, can one of you sort of describe the conference and maybe who comes and what the whole purpose is for the conference coming up? Well, we're hoping it's a small conference, so it's not like OTC. So you get a lot of focus people. Yeah, that sort of plays to our arena because we're a niche company. We work in mainly subsea and deep water. Mm-hmm. A life extension will be part of it. So we're hoping that it's that sort of audience who are interested in some of the case studies that we're going to present, and you get a sort of focused audience. Then we can sort of you know project from there and see what happens in terms of other projects for CSS. We haven't done a lot of work in the Gulf of Mexico. So mm. focus shows like this are quite important to us to get to the right people, yeah. to get to know the right projects. Because we've done, we know these projects must be going on in the Gulf of Mexico because in our home countries they are. Yeah. And this is such a big are- arena. Yeah. And we're hoping to tap into that from subsea tieback. Excellent. Well, it's now that things have opened up, and especially yeah. here in Texas, people are meeting. The energy at the conferences that I've been to in this year which has already been quite a few, I feel like, and we're only in February, well, now March 1st, you know, it's great. The energy and the amount of interaction and networking and people's sort of, there's so much pent up energy to get out and, you know, meet people. Hopefully it's a value for you guys. Obviously you spend a lot of, you know, coming over here is a pretty big, you know, logistically it can be challenging. And so hopefully it's good for you guys, but I do need to take a break. And before we keep going, I want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. We're also doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston, so check out OGGN.com for more details on all our events. And speaking of Technip FMC, you guys actually have a bit of a relationship, an existing relationship with Technip FMC, and we don't have to get into details, but if one of you could sort of describe that, because I think it's really fascinating being that they are a sponsor. Yeah, I can maybe say some of the presentation we're going to have in Galveston on the subsea tieback is actually going from dive-resisted pipeline tie-in and repairs into doing this fully remotely. And... We've been working on a few projects with Technip FMC where we are doing projects well without divers. Wow. Projects that otherwise could have been done with divers, but because, should we say, the experience is there now, the equipment has been fully developed and tested, there is opportunities to do projects that previously was done with divers to do them fully remotely now. So that's... Wow. And I think Technip FMC is one of the leaders in that transition as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah me too. I mean, I've worked with... Technip FMC for many years, actually. And what we're sort of presenting here is actually projects that we've done in the past in Norway. So I have a long association through Equinor because Technip take care of all their emergency contingency systems yeah. in, in, on the west coast of Norway. So I've worked with projects with them, been offshore, done some repairs with them. Yeah. So yeah, so it's probably a 20-year association with Technip and through our More Grip connector brand, they've used that connector technology for many years as well so it's good closing the loop like that actually with Technip. yeah it seems like there's some synergy here well i've worked alongside with Technip fmc on the you know again just on the media and podcasting side and you know great company i've interviewed several people from within their organization tony munster is their marketing director i believe is his title he's in charge of you know most things marketing wise and just overall great company 
fascinating technology and just really pushing the limits, which is really cool. And it sounds like you guys are too. And so, but before we get into the business side, I always like to kind of get to know the people behind the microphone because it's one, you know, everyone can get going on, you know, here's our company and here's why we're the best thing since pants with pockets and look at all this technology. But our industry is so focused on the people. And so I'd like to take the opportunity to get to know you guys a little bit better. But so, you know, Paul, tell us a little bit, where are you from originally? I'm from Bergen, Norway. Okay. Second largest city in Norway. Yeah. West Which Coast. is how much? You say second biggest. How big is that? Well, that is like for 500,000. Okay. So it's, it's a small city. It's very quaint. Yeah. I like that. Neighborhood, yeah. as we call it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure it's a real city compared to, to most others. But, uh, I grew up in a yeah. city of 40,000, so oh, I get right, it. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up and where I'm still living. Okay. Cool. And so... I've never been to Norway. There's obviously a ton of oil and gas activity, but what's life like growing up there as a child? I mean, what, what do you spend your time doing? What kinds of things did you enjoy growing up? Well, we are very close to the, should we say, the countryside as well. So there's good opportunities to go skiing, to running, trail, and things like that, which is some of the things that I've been doing. At least it's a good hobby still. Yeah. So you grew up skiing then, or what did you do growing up? Yeah, well... Bicycling and skiing was a big part of my growing up in, in Bergen, Norway. Good. I can identify. Growing up in British Columbia, lots of mountains. Yeah, I think my mom had me on skis when I was two years old in between her. And yeah, I grew up, again, just love the snow, love the mountains. And Norway, from just the pictures I've seen, is absolutely beautiful. I don't know if my career will take me there. If not, actually, I have a friend who's from Norway who came here started working and has his own consulting company. And whenever we get together, I'm always fascinated just asking him, you know, what's it like over there? And just again, it's, just, it's a beautiful space from what I've seen. And so you've lived there your entire life then and your career and everything. Yeah. So it's quite boring, actually. I've been there my entire life. I've no, it's with, not boring. It's been <laughs> with this company for, for 20 years as well. So it's yeah. quite an easy story, really. Yeah, that's neat. And so Nitin, what about you? Yeah, so I'm from England. I'm place called Walsall, which is about seven miles north of Birmingham. So I'm completely opposite to where Paul Magnusall grew up. So heavily industrialized area. So yeah, that's so basically in Birmingham. Yeah. Okay. So what, I mean, again, being here in Houston, I'm pretty sure a lot of people haven't been there. What's it like growing up there? A lot of it was just times playing soccer. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So we were really into that. Football. Football, as we okay. call it. Yeah. So, don't, yeah. yeah. So, Stick to your roots, man. Exactly. I know you guys don't call it soccer. Well, so yeah, it was a lot of that really. And yeah, but so... Not much outdoor in terms of that, but yeah, it's a heavily industrialized part of the world, but nice. It's yeah. good to grow up there. And I've been there all my life as well. So I was born there. So Gotcha. 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 And so like right now, again, obviously we're coming out of the pandemic and everything. How are things for you guys back in your hometowns and home countries? Is it like, are things opening up or is it still, is there a, still a lot of sort of, I guess, just sort of caution involved with the pandemic? Can you describe it a little yeah, bit? Yeah, certainly for the Birmingham area, I think people are just eager to come out of this now. Yeah. So there's no masks, there's nothing like that. That people just going away their sort of daily yeah. business as it was before, which is refreshing to see. I mean, you sort of slow down with what we've had to do for the last two years. Yeah. And really people are just getting on with it. So all the bars, all the restaurants, they're all open. It's good to see that vibe coming back, actually. Yeah. And the refreshing thing for me is that I think working from home has its sort of virtues, but going to the office is also good as well. And you can see it, you're certainly talking to my friends and family and they just want to sort of get out of the house and get back to a bit more normality, which is a good thing to do as well. It is. I think not only for, you know, for the economy, but also just for human interaction. Yeah. 
and sort of mental health, you know, isolation. I was reading something, I didn't forget where it was, but they were saying that, you know, some of the most painful torture is self-isolation. And again, without going down that rabbit hole, but yeah, I mean, I know myself even working from home every day. And, you know, of course I love my family and my kids, but just that sort of desire for human interaction face-to-face, it's nice to see. And Hopefully we're climbing out of that and we're in the last salvation. But Paul, what about you? How's things back home for you guys? No, just before we left for Houston, now they just lifted the last restriction. So oh, cool. now it's almost back to normal. Awesome. But of course, we see there's still less traffic, less people in the office because people, <laughs> I think, try to keep on the same routines a little bit. <laughs> it yeah. has benefits of working from home, obviously. So right. yeah, but it's getting normal. I think we are just a few weeks ahead of the lifting the restrictions compared to here in in texas ah interesting my understanding at least okay wow that's really interesting to hear and here in the u.s actually i've read that even some of the most strict states and cities such as new york and los angeles are considering you know starting to kind of sort of loosen up the restrictions and so no it's good to hear And, and again you know I always like to talk to people who are actually there because what you see online and then media and everything else, I mean, you just never really know what's going on. But it's cool. It's, it's good to see. And obviously travel and everything's opened up. So, Nitin, I'm curious, you know, and I always like to ask a question. So it's going to get you thinking on your toes here. <laughs> For you, if you had all the money in the world and you had access to any resource, you could teleport to anywhere, what would your ideal Friday night look like? If you had just any opportunity... What would that be? You really put me on the spot here. Oh, I know. <laughs> I think uh, people should think about this on a regular basis because you, you shoot for the stars, man. To be honest, it's a good question. In fact, through COVID, it's made me think, oh, talking about mental awareness, I have an autistic son. Uh-huh. And, and the whole COVID thing has really sort of let us spend time with him in a full way. Yes. And to get to sort of understand what's important to him. Wow. So using that as a bit of a basis, I'd like to move out the center of the country and move by the sea because wow. I think there's a tranquility by the sea and we've got some weather aside we've got some great places in England if I could yeah I would just move there now so I would love to have a house by the sea spend my Fridays drinking nice wine yeah right, having some friends around and that's what I'd like to do because I think for the long term that's going to really help our son and, yeah. and, and, and my daughter she loves it anyway so that's what I'd like to do being by the water there, there's such an element of tranquility and i love, you know, vacations, going to a beach. And I grew up, like, where I grew up, there's a lot of freshwater lakes. And I was very fortunate growing up that my parents, they owned their own business and we were in a financial position to have little boats, like ski boats. And so, but yeah, I just, I mean, looking, when you're growing up in that environment, you don't really realize how good it is. And then sort of, you don't have a sense of gratification until you're away from that. But yeah, I think, you know, being just on the dock, watching the waves come in or being on a boat and rocking and just the water in itself, I can definitely identify. And so it's interesting you mentioning your son. Hmm. So because you're not able to be there, say now, I'm sure in the future that would be the case. What are some of the things that sort of help that you guys kind of navigate those waters, no pun intended, but with that, because I think it's something to, you know, again, I know we're here to talk about business, but I just, again, that's why I like to ask people questions on the personal side, because there's a lot of good value that comes from that. So what have you found has been the most helpful for overcoming that type of challenge yeah it's spending time with him and actually having the time with him to understand his challenges the way we see the world is not the way he sees the world and we're always in a rush because of that's the way we are but covid has sort of slowed things down Mm. and it gives you a bit of you sort of look at it at a holistic level and then you think 
stop asking him questions, leave me alone. And that's why I think the sea is wonderful for him because he can just look out and yeah. it's just drawing on nature. Where I live, you don't get that privilege. So that's one thing. And also, I think the whole COVID situation has emphasized the need for further understanding about mental health awareness. And I think that's a good thing for society as well. You know, there's things outside work which are more important yeah. for the benefit of all of us. And I think that COVID has given us that. So in, in some ways, if one good thing came out of it is people's awareness of how important mental health is actually to every individual. Right. And so for yourself personally, have yeah. you realized through COVID, aside from you know spending more time with your son and kind of understanding that on a deeper level, has it helped you at all kind of realize things or have you changed any core beliefs aside from that due to COVID? Yeah, I think more patience is it, patience and not just always trying to do lots and lots of work. And yeah, and I also learned that I think the importance of meeting people is quite a good thing for me. I'm naturally quite a social person. And spending time at home all the time is not a good thing for me. I, I need to be meeting people because it's just, that's how I sort of roll. Yeah, so no, I can identify. So, I miss the bars if the right. truth is, right? So, <laughs> Let's just be honest. I miss going to bars and drinking <laughs> with the boys. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, There's you, only so much I can spend time with my wife and she's, she, she was sitting here, she'd say the same thing as well. <laughs> I get it. Well, now that you've had a bunch of time to think about it, I'm sure your answers. <laughs> Paul's been, I mean, he's been writing notes down. He knows exactly what his ideal Friday night looks like. Let's hear it. Friday night? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I would rather prefer the other question because I think, yeah, the Friday night, it's probably, I have a daughter of 25 and one at 21, but I just got twins that are now four years old. Wow. And, you know, having the COVID situation now where it limits our travels, yeah. because normally we, in the oil and gas business, we typically travel quite a bit, but having these two years now, more or less two without traveling and had a chance to be with my smallest children has been really, uh, yeah, it was quite a good timing for that one. So I think typically when it comes to the Friday, it's good for me to be with my family. So yeah, a bit just enjoy a bit the boring. I'm, I'm getting old, so that's... Uh, hey, probably. that is not... <laughs> boring is, I don't know, it says people are boring according to who, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's boring at all if you're spending time with your family. So then, you know, for you, Paul, then what core belief... Have you changed your mind over the last couple of years? And that could be whether it's personal, business, or really anything that comes to mind. Has anything sort of shifted your core beliefs in any way? And if so, what is that? Oh, that was very open. If you're not sure, we can move yeah, on. Yeah, no, I think core belief, I would say one of the things with the COVID, but it's probably something obvious, is that it's really, we don't need to travel as much maybe, I think, as we used to do. We see now yeah. how well it works with a lot of the meetings that we previously had to travel a lot. Yeah. And we do this on the teams typically or similar and it works really well. And, and sometimes it's even more efficient than traveling to meet people because, you know, everybody's equal when it's in a virtual meeting. Everybody, you don't. Otherwise, if you go to Paris or you go to Houston or and you to meet somebody, there's always, this is a global industry, there's always participants yeah. that are sitting elsewhere. And it's very hard for them to be part of the discussions in a way. When everything's virtual, everybody's equal. And sometimes we experience we actually get better meetings this way. So I think that's been quite useful for us and making the job more efficient as well. Yeah, no, there's, I think with like most things, it's a balance, right? It's, I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. I don't think we need to be completely virtual, but going back to the way it was pre-COVID, I think there's been a lot of efficiency gains through technology and our ability to connect and have meetings, you know, again, some people would argue it's a bad thing, but you can have meetings back to back to back and really be you can increase the volume and the pace at which we work with others. So 
in even whether it's internally as an organization or externally with clients and you know ops people and stuff like that. So no, that it's a great answer. But there is of course a reason why we're here in in Houston and we right. to meet people. So, <laughs> right. so it's still it's not like we're doing everything from home anymore. But of uh, course, but it's a balance, yeah, right? It's it it's yeah. you know again you don't have to be at every conference and fly on a plane you know two hundred eighty five days a year anymore. It's you can be a little bit more strategic and yeah. where you are and, and how you divide your time. So I think the hybrid model works, doesn't it? I think that's yeah. The Through my observation, yeah. I think it's worked and for me personally so no those are great answers and again i know you were probably surprised and what, what, what are we talking about here but i like to you know again i like to get to know folks so you see you've been with the company now for you said 25 years yeah uh, yeah almost at least yeah. okay so were you like one of the originals or talk a little bit about the history if you could with yeah if i'm allowed to speak about the business a little bit i Absolutely, would say that yeah. the business the company was founded like two years ago more or less in 2000 okay i was joining shortly thereafter but what I like to, when I'm presenting the business, I like to emphasize that we kind of, the start was really where we saw that more and more was being done in deeper waters and the equipment that existed for pipeline repair and tines were typically made for divers. So I would say we had some very good engineers, part of the startup, who saw this as an opportunity to design everything from scratch, dedicated for deep water operations or remote operations mm-hmm. and then you could focus on what's important for that type of operations instead of taking like the diver assisted equipment and trying to turn that into something that works but it's not optimal for deeper water that was the start of the company and then we had some i would say challenging clients that really pushed us on this mm. and in particular in brazil at the time and we were a little bit should we say anxious when we then went out from Brazil in particular and went kind of worldwide and how were we going to be yeah received and I would say to a little bit of a surprise we saw that this was something that was very well received elsewhere it was something that I think most operators and contractors really saw the benefit of so I think from there we have been able to grow the business worldwide and kind of leverage that technology that we started with yeah Yeah, well i think even for those who may not be technically savvy or familiar with any subsea type operations you made a very important point in my opinion is it say you know doing things without the needing for divers so there's so many elements to that that i think are extremely valuable a from an hse perspective i don't know the statistics on you know events happening with divers i would imagine over the years hopefully it's come down but at the end of the day you know for us as an industry on on land there's been such a big push for a number of different reasons to, you know, as they say, eliminate, you know, people off the rigs, eliminate people away from frac sites, a lot of high pressure lines that's only continuing to increase. There's so many, you know, I guess, danger zones that folks, especially people who are new to the industry may stumble into and put themselves in extreme danger. But with technology and innovation, we've taken a lot of the field operating folks and have either put them in different roles or brought them into the office to, use their skill set to watch over, you know, not just one job site, but multiple. And so anytime you can take people out of the field and out of the water, I guess, in this case, is extremely important. And I think there's, it's so valuable, especially for families and efficiencies. So again, I think that's extremely important, but can you maybe perhaps elaborate for those who are not familiar with, you know, the types of services that you offer? You've a little bit of that, but can you give an example you know, of what a, you know, connector sub C, what it is like you're taking pipe and connecting it, like break it down on a very elementary level, if you could. Our, our core business is really to repair 
subsea pipelines. Repair subsea pipelines, yes. okay. But you know, that could be if there's a serious failure on a pipeline or a serious damage, you would typically remove the damaged section and then replace it with a new one. And then you would use connectors at either end. So we have the Morgan connectors, which is quite the, yeah, a quality product, I would say, but that you use to then join the existing pipeline with the new segment. And then to do this in deep water or diverless does require quite a big suite of equipment. You need to lift it, you need to cut it, you need to prepare the pipe ends, and you need to install these connectors and the spool. So it's quite an extensive operation. Wow. So that is our core business and doing this deep water is an area where we have quite we've done a have a good track record in it. No kidding. So if an oil and gas company or say an owner of a pipeline suspects that we need a repair pipeline, they would call you and you guys offer the full suite of, you know, technical support, personnel, engineering, all of that? That's right, yeah. Okay. We, we do and right from sort of conceptual design to full design, yeah. to fabrication testing, and then commissioning as well. Ah. So, so so we supply that. And the way the industry sort of evolved as well is that uh, you don't just wait for the call. So a lot of companies have, have preventative emergency pipeline repair systems. So we're one of the companies that have actually offer that. So yeah. we have a range of connectors in states of readiness to cover this. So in the event of a call-off, it's already there. Right. Now, the benefits that gives to the clients, and this is something that we sort of help pioneer, because I've been in the industry for, from a connector point of view for actually 32 years. Holy smokes. So my association with Paul Magner is, is slightly different because through more grip, but we'll, we can come on to that later. So you have these emergency systems, and what that gives to the clients is that it means that when called off, the things are there because typically connectors can be on long lead times. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not, they're not off-the-shelf items, especially the deep water stuff. I would imagine. So, yeah. you know, many months, some could be even a year, and you can't wait for a, a pipeline to be fixed for a year. No, of so, course. So right. things are built to be used when needed. Wow. And what we've pioneered is different states of readiness. So sometimes you only have the forging. You only need the forging because upon an emergency, the client isn't always ready to go and fix the pipeline because you have to go and find a boat. Yeah. You've got to go and find a replacement pipe. You've got to get the crew together. That takes time. So mm. in that time, wow. you can actually share the costs when you actually need it. So, so you basically have the forgings in stock and then you finish it to the connector that you want. You can share those connectors between like-minded clients because the reality of, say, a 12-inch pipeline, two 12-inch pipelines breaking down or having an emergency are quite remote. Yeah. So that means clients can actually share that resource. Yeah. And the person who has the problem or the company that has the problem then gets to use it and then has to replace it. So we've sort of pioneered those sort of commercial options as well. Wow. So, yeah. That's and, fascinating. And, yeah. and I think it's one thing, you know, important for folks to consider that are familiar with land operations. And I've had the privilege of working. I haven't worked deep water. I worked hmm. on inland barges and then I worked quite a bit on jackups. And on the drilling upstream side of things, if you're on land and you need something in a warehouse is a couple hours away, you can get it and you know within two to three hours if you're lucky, maybe a little more depending on how busy that particular warehouse or facility is. But then going to offshore, it was more of, you know, it was a game of logistics and forecasting. And, you know, I don't just have to think three or four hours ahead. I got to think days and weeks and perhaps even months ahead. And so, you know, I would imagine planning is something that's important for you guys. But, you know, you mentioned too, you know, oftentimes lead times can be up to a year. Mm. How has 
like global supply chain disruptions affected your guys' business? Has that inhibited you guys from growth or, or how have you guys navigated that? Not really. I mean, we have the virtue of having quite extensive many years in this industry. So you build up a supply chain. Sure. And also with the criticality of the components that we sell, you can't just go to any forger. Right. You have to go to certified forgers. And there are a selection of those. So because you've got to get the right quality materials. I mean, often our clients specify that you can only buy certain materials from certain suppliers or certain parts of the world. So it's a bit of a niche thing as well. I see. So, So in that way, it hasn't really been affected. What's really affected is the client's COVID, if we're talking about that, has basically just slowed down the decision-making process of Ah. clients needing these projects. Makes sense. I just wanted to get back to the other point about diver to diverless. So the safety aspect is one. There's another important factor as well is that there is a downward shift of the availability of diving support vessels and also, we we find anyway, and also skilled divers to do this work. So why is that? I think it's just dying, you know, but there's just not people being replaced and there's a lot of automation. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ROVs now and you see drone technology underwater as well. So it's all heading in that direction. Of course. So, so of course, a lot of our business is still done with diver assisted at shallow waters, but even in shallow waters now, there are options being asked about to do them full remote. So all the niche that we have is actually going to be very applicable uh-huh. to a wider. So your market's growing. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. By that. Yeah. That and that's the presentation dynamic. that we're going to do at Subsea Tieback as well. Oh, interesting. That's one of the case studies that we want to, very we want cool. to go through. So this podcast is going to be released after, unfortunately. But if folks listening are interested in seeing that presentation or just more interested in what you offer, is there will it be online on a forum? Or yeah. like, how can folks access the presentation? Because I think it's very fascinating. Oh, we could we'll certainly be on our website. We will certainly okay. even take this podcast and put it on our website as well. So yeah, yeah, there's lots of leads. And I would say, go to the CSS website, and then all those provisions are there, all those things that are there for download. Gotcha. And of course, just contact us and we'll be happy to yeah. take you through these experiences. Just wanted to add another thing. We've talked about connectors and clamps. Yeah. But we also have a company which has pioneered remote welding, oh, subsea wow. welding as well for deep water. So it's not just all about big you know clamps and connectors yeah things are also welded together as well so that's that's another niche and that will also grow because it's particularly it's particularly suitable for really big pipelines yeah where weight could be an issue so right. so that's part of our business as well yeah well i think again another interesting point to kind of go back to is the whole preventative maintenance type stuff yeah and again maybe out of your scope of work or it may not be something that you're tied into but you know i'd imagine through you know big data analytics and sort of machine learning and stuff at least on the equipment side on land a lot of people can you know through all the data and the inputs they can sort of forecast and say okay in about 20 hours or 100 hours you know this particular piece is going to break down and so do you find that more folks are spending more resources to the preventative side to where you're getting is that like increasing your demand for your types of business with more preventative or has the pipeline industry offshore kind of already got to that point? No, I, I think that's happening. You, you see, I mean, if I cast my mind back when we started the first club in 1995, people would just come to you when something got broken. Right. So the preventative thing has been a growing trend. And you can see that the lesser sort of developed parts of the regions of the world also have their contingency systems as well. So I would say it's growing more. I think what we're challenged by, like everybody's challenged by in this industry is cost. So how can we keep that on track? Cost is a big one. Yeah. And 
when Paul Magna talked about the suite of tools that you need to connect clamps and connectors and so forth, people don't want to always invest because it's, it's, some of this can be run into the quite considerable costs. Yeah. We also offer like a rental service for the items that help prepare and lift the pipelines. So that's been part of the sort of trending industry as well. If we can rent niche gear, then that's something that the industry really sort of asked for. We've done that. That's so an interesting the, vertical the, to get into. Yeah. yeah. So that trend will also continue because ah. I see less and less sort of the end clients keeping inventory or tooling. Yeah. And they rely on companies like us to do that. Yep. And then when the button gets pressed, we're there to service that need. So it's definitely gone to the service side as well. Yeah. So what would you say sort of on a macro level, what is your biggest limiter for growth? Aside from just, you know, the overall activity volume, but as a company, I mean, what are you guys challenged with the most right now from being able to, you know, grow and scale? Does anything kind of come to mind? I think... As we're still getting out of COVID in terms of working, I think cost is still a big barrier for everybody. I do genuinely think that people want to do more preventative measures. So gotcha. that sort of plays into our sort of arena. Yeah. And I think the trend of eliminating divers and manned intervention or person intervention is something that will help us grow. And I would say engineering capabilities, we're blessed with having very good engineers, but you know, Adding to those, having experienced people to do the commissioning, they don't grow on trees. So it's something that I'm conscious of in getting those people. So I think also one of the reasons we're here is really to spread awareness that we have a significant track record of doing quite challenging deep water and or remote operations. And that, you know, there is limited knowledge that this kind of operations has been performed and mm. therefore it's it's safe to do that now. And uh you know, investing in a full spread that is capable of doing one repair, that investment might not be defended by that single repair. But when you have this available already built in stock and you can, if you need them, you can call them off and, and do it and then re-deliver them once it's been, then you get this is economical to do. Right. So I think a lot of our growth is to make the operators aware that this equipment is available and that the experiences from doing this is there. Yeah. And we can do this very cost effective now. So we see some of the jobs that we are currently working on is things that's been postponed for many years okay. because they didn't think it would possible to actually fix it. Interesting. So I guess that leads me into one of my last questions here is what's been the biggest win or project or sort of trophy case that you guys kind of hang your hats on and say, we, this was the biggest challenge. We overcame it and we delivered. And I mean, does, is there anything that just kind of comes to mind? I'm sure there's a bunch of wins under your belt, but anything special? I would probably like to highlight when we did the world's first deep water riser repair in 2017, we completed the two deep water riser repairs at oh, wow. 550 meters, which was, yeah, that was challenging, very challenging operation that we did for on the greater plutonium field for BP on outside of Angola. It's something we had a few papers on ah. in the past as well. And at that time, there was the choice between trying to do this repair that we ended up doing or to actually lay a new riser, two new risers, which would be uh, much more expensive than the repair operation that we did. 
Wow. And you mentioned papers. I'm sure it's perhaps highlighted on your website, but is there like a case study or something if people are interested to read more about that? Because I mean, when anytime you hear world's first, a lot of times it piques people's interest. So people might want to do their little information seeking on that. Yeah, we should have that available on our website, on the website yeah. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, well, I'll make sure and put the link in the show notes. That way, if anyone's interested on in what we've talked about today, they can hang it up. And obviously, add you. Are you guys on LinkedIn? I, I think I found you on yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah, we're yeah. both on yeah. Good. Well, for any of the listeners out there, I encourage you to add both of these gentlemen to LinkedIn. I'll put the link in the show notes. And so again, to close out again, more on the personal side of things, and Nitin, we can start with you. Do you have any daily habits or routines that kind of help contribute to your success in terms of whether that's in the morning, you do a certain like, you know, whether it's drinking coffee or tea or meditating, journaling? I mean, does anything kind of that you do on a daily basis to kind of keep you zoned in and, and on track? Drinking tea? And making sure that I speak to my children wherever I am in the world. Wow. So, oh, man, that's awesome. So with the time difference, I still talk to them at 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Eastern time. So, yeah, that's wow. just something I always always do. Tea and making sure you talk to your kids. It's simple, but I'm sure it goes such a long ways. Cool. And, Paul, what about you? No, I would say running. I running. Think running is a good way to kind of focus on the things that needs to be resolved and, and solve some of the problems that <laughs> yeah. you might be worrying about or so i think yeah that's, that's okay good. and are you a morning runner or an evening runner well uh, mostly evenings evenings okay <laughs> it's, good. it's hard to get up in the morning yeah. <laughs> okay no that's cool yeah to get the blood flowing and the endorphins going so when you run do you listen to something or do you just listen to yeah, nature it depends if you're going to have the so problem solving I find it best to not listen to anything yeah because then you can kind of focus on the things that needs to be resolved of course if you if there's nothing particular, it's good to listen to something. But I would say 90% of the time, I don't listen to anything when I run. Right. Do you find that you have really interesting or creative ideas come to you when you're running without any that? Yeah. And so I've had this challenge, whether it's like in the shower or running or whatever. But most of the time when these great ideas come, I'm doing something that I don't necessarily, I can't write down right away. So how do you remember these? If you have an idea, do you stop and like put it in your phone or how do you do that? No, normally I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> All my bright ideas are gone with the wind. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but fortunately, like I say 10%, we, we do remember. Yeah. Um, work on. Yeah. No, I say that comically because I always kick myself in the pants. I'm like, I had such a good idea and now I forget. You know? So it sounds like you and I are, you know, <laughs> share that. But anyway, this has been an absolutely interesting conversation. I really hope you guys enjoy Houston, enjoy Galveston and the Subsea Tieback Conference. Hopefully it's valuable for you guys. Is there any closing last words that you'd like to share or anything before we let the audience go? No, it's been great. It's the first podcast for me i could carry on actually yeah <laughs> well we'll have to do a round two when you're back here we'll we'll get you back on there and you're a natural i yeah. like that yeah thank you yeah you yeah. need to start your own man yeah <laughs> don't say that to paul man he's gonna make me do this <laughs> i think every business should have their own podcast just saying anyway yeah right on well again we appreciate you coming on the show in such short notice and for all the listeners out there please support the show by leaving a review or just share an episode it's always good to spread the good word and with that said always remember when the density's up and the gas is down open the choke let's go to town thanks everybody thanks again for listening tune in next week for another episode of oil and gas on shore a production of oil and gas global network for more information visit oggn.com <laughs>